Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text today's message comes from the Old Testament reading of 1 Kings, as you heard a few moments ago. You may be seated. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, you may have heard this phrase before, and I mean, you may have even said it to someone else before, and that is... If God brings you to it, he will bring you through it. Now, if you, by chance, say, take your Bible and open it up, are you going to find this exact phrase here in God's word? No, not word for word anywhere in God's word. However, that doesn't mean that the idea isn't there. I mean, just because a phrase isn't in the Bible doesn't mean it's not biblical. I think that we've already seen a few examples in our reading through the Bible where God leads people or allows them to be led in certain areas of their life and then stepping in when necessary. Working things out for good. If God brings you to it, he will bring you through it. You can imagine Abraham and Isaac, right? When God tells Abraham to go and sacrifice your son on Mount Moriah. This son who he said would make Abraham into a great nation. And then at the the last second, God stops Isaac from being sacrificed and replaces him. Do you think about Moses being called by God in the burning bush to rescue the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, ultimately bringing them to the Red Sea, crossing it to freedom and safety as they're chased down by the Egyptians? You think about Gideon being called by God to lead the people of Israel against the Midianites, but being told 32,000 men is too many. In the end, being only left with 300 men and some torches and trumpets and jars to give them the victory, which God did. But just because we know that God is leading us doesn't mean that we are always faithful to him or that we jump right into trusting him completely or that all goes perfectly right away. As you might know, Isaac is not the first child that Abraham has after God's promise of an heir that will make him into a great nation. Hello, Ishmael. Moses comes up with plenty of excuses as to why God should not choose him and send him to Egypt. Hello, Aaron. And Gideon puts God to the test multiple times with the fleece and the dew. And then we have our reading for today. You have Elijah, this prophet, who just comes out of nowhere, right? God's word just starts talking about him like he's been here all along. There's no visitors sharing a meal, telling him he's going to have a son like Abraham. There's no burning bush calling him to to go like Moses. Nope, we just start with 
here's Elijah. But God does tell him where to go. He says, go to Zarephath and dwell there. I have commanded a widow there to feed you. And what happens when he goes and sees her is he asks her for some water. And then he asks her for a little bit of bread. And she tells him that she only has a handful of flour and a little oil. And, of course, the water he also requested. But that's all. And that she is getting ready to finish it up. Have one last meal with her son and then they will die. Well, that got real pretty quickly. Obviously, we don't know what led them to that point in their life, but they are not doing very well, it seems. She and her son are ready to have their last meal and die. Now, maybe not instantaneously, but there was a famine in the land, and maybe there was no food in sight for them. Maybe they had no money. So they were just going to have this one last meal and then just wait to die. But Elijah tells her, don't worry. You will not run out of flour or oil. And that is exactly what happens. The widow and her son have plenty of meals together with Elijah without the flour or oil running out. But then the son got sick. So sick that there is no breath of life left in him. The son dies. I mean, you can picture it like this. Here is this prophet Elijah who comes to this widow's house, coming to bring the word of God, the power of God. And God's power is on display with the flour and the oil never running out. When they were expecting to have just one final meal and then die. But the son still dies. And the widow says to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. She goes from having been blessed for countless days, being brought from close to death back to life. But then her son faces death. And she thinks that this is Elijah. This is God bringing punishment, condemnation upon her because of her past sins. Now, it is true that prophets of God would sometimes emphasize the law and the condemnation because of the people's sin, because of their unrepentance, because of their unbelief. But here is an instant where we don't necessarily see unrepentance or unbelief. So maybe she just associated all the prophets with that. Do you ever feel like, and maybe you just never realize it, that in the midst of life, you are receiving blessings upon blessings from God, that he is taking care of your life. But then one, one bad thing happens. And you're like, why are you doing this to me, God? Why do you hate me so much? What did I do to deserve this? And this is one of those times where some false belief like karma can easily creep into your thinking. And maybe that's what this widow is going through. Because you're like, I'm a good person. 
I don't deserve this. So, I mean, maybe there's something that I did. Something in my past that is now coming back to harm me. Or maybe you're, you're sitting there thinking, why do I always have to hear about the law and sin and condemnation when I come to church? I'm a good person. I don't need to be told that I'm a terrible sinner and that my sins deserve death and that my sins deserve hell. Can't we just ignore the bad stuff and only talk about the good stuff? I mean, I want to feel good coming to church and hearing the word of God, but not when it's all negative. And to that, I would say, if I don't talk about sin and death and hell, then I'm not speaking the truth of God's word. And we hear it every Sunday because, well, let me ask you this. Do you believe you're good? Don't raise your hand, but, you know, do you believe like you're a good person? You think that? So then you're God? Because Jesus himself said no one is good but God alone. So either you're God or... You're not good. Oh, and maybe this is where I lose some of you now. You stop listening because you don't want to hear that. Because you're like, no, 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 I am a good person. But stay with me. There are plenty of people in this world that believe that they are a good person. There are plenty of people in this world that believe their good works will save them, will get them to heaven. And on every, any, on any given Sunday, there can be someone sitting in these pews feeling confident that because they are a good person and because they do good works, that their salvation, heaven is secure. So please tell me, is it your good works that gets you to heaven? I mean, that's what John 3.16 says, right? When we open up, our Bible to John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever does enough good works will not perish but have eternal life. And of course, to that we should clearly say, no, right? So for those who feel secure in their own, well, we'll call it self-righteousness, they need to hear the law. They need to hear about sin. And the consequences of sin, that being death and hell, and that their good works don't save them. Because I have to tell you, I sin every single day in my thoughts, in my words, and in my deeds. And I need to understand the severity, the depths of my actions so that I can fully grasp exactly what Christ did for me on the cross. That he died for my sins. And I can only understand the depths of Jesus' love for me on the cross when I understand that my sins deserve death and hell. And that Jesus took it for me. And guess what? On any given Sunday, there are people sitting in these pews 
that understand the severity, the depths of their sin and its consequences. And so they don't need to hear the law. They need to hear the gospel. And so every single Sunday, you're going to hear the gospel. And every single Sunday, you're going to hear the message of the gospel. And every single Sunday, we're going to end the message with the gospel, not the law. Because the gospel is most important. Now, if you were to take a, a poll of people off the street and ask them what the Bible is about, what the main point of the Bible, what the main message of the Bible is, I mean, you think about what people might say. You might hear some answers like, it's about teaching you how to be a good person. It's about loving other people. It's about loving others just like God loves us. You might even hear to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, maybe in our self-righteousness, we think that because we want to know how to be a good person, we want to know how to live as a Christian in this world, what we can do while we're on this earth, how we can love, those answers seem fine and dandy. And sure, loving other people, being a good person, loving God, are three things that you can do. I'm not trying to say that there isn't a place for good works, for loving other people, for loving God. But that's not the main point. Because the message of loving others and doing good works is the law. And when you look at a mirror and you look at yourself in the mirror, the law will ultimately show you that you don't love like God, that you are not good. And the law cannot save you. The main message of the Bible is about Jesus. From cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation, it is about Jesus. And it's about his death and his resurrection for you. The forgiveness of sins that he won for you through his death on the cross, where he became sin for you. He was good on your behalf. He was perfect and righteous and holy for you. And it's about the eternal life that he has guaranteed for you through his resurrection from the dead. He overcame sin and death, and so will you. That's the gospel. It's all about Jesus for you. Speaking of the resurrection, let's go back to the widow. Her son is dead. Maybe it's her past sins coming back to punish her. What does Elijah do? He takes that boy, takes him up to his room, his bed, lays down, lays on top of him, cries out to God multiple times, asking for God to restore his life. And what does God do? He restores his life. 
And this woman who may have doubted now says, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. God's word is truth. And the widow confirms that. And the word of God brings power. It raises this boy back to life. And there will be other dead who are raised to life as well. We think about Jesus raising Jairus' daughter, the widow's son at Nain, Jesus' friend Lazarus. And as Jesus does this, God's power comes on display again, just like with Elijah, which is why some people actually thought that Jesus was Elijah. But he is not. He is God. And his power was on display once again when he rose from the dead. And now his power is at work in our lives. But maybe you're sitting there today thinking that God's power is not at work in you. Or at least God's power is not at work in you like it is some other people. People who are really gifted with telling others about Jesus. People who are really gifted at living out their faith on a daily basis. People who seem to have all of the right answers and always have their life in order. People who seem to not be struggling. So if there's someone you know that isn't struggling, I would probably check their pulse. Make sure they're still living, that they have the breath of life in them. Because there's another phrase that we can think of when it comes to the lives we live. It's one that maybe you've heard before, probably. Maybe you've even said it yourself, and it goes like this. God won't give you more than you can handle. Now, whereas if God brings you to it, he will bring you through it is not in the Bible, but maybe is still biblical. God won't give you more than you can handle is neither in the Bible nor is it biblical. It's actually misquoted from 1 Corinthians, which says, And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. This is about temptation, not about the burdens that you're giving in life. In fact, Paul actually says in his next letter to the Corinthians that he and others faced something that they could not handle, that they could not endure, so that they would rely on God. And that's just it. If God never gave us more than we can, could handle, we would never need God. But we do need God. And he knows that. And that's why he came. Because without him, there is no hope. There is no joy. There is no peace. There is no comfort. There is no life. There is no heaven. And these are all things that he gives us. And then he gives us his Holy Spirit, who gives us the gift of faith to believe this gospel, that it's not our own work. It is the work of the Spirit. And the Spirit creates fruit in us, like goodness. But it's not you. It's the Spirit working in you. So yeah, you're a good person. But you're not good because of you. You're good because of God. That goodness 
inside you comes from him. So too the love and the joy and the peace and the patience and the kindness and the faithfulness and the gentleness and the self-control. And the spirit gives life. And so you have been made alive through the Spirit. And so when God looks at you, like you look at yourself in the mirror, he doesn't see you. He doesn't see your sin. He sees Jesus, who has covered all of your sin with his death on the cross. And God sees the empty tomb in Christ's resurrection, and he helps you to live for him, to live for others, to love others, to love him. Because he lived for you and because he first loved you. And sure, if he brings you to it, he will bring you through it because it's all his work. And his word from cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation, is all about Jesus. And it's all for you. His death to give you life. His resurrection to give you eternal life. His life for you. Amen. And now the peace of God which passes all understanding. Guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.